and welcome to the Bloody Bizarre Podcast, episode 11. 11. Yeah, onto it. Did that sound more casual that time, my intro? Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, like every time you do it, it does get more and more cash. So by episode 100, I should sound like a normal human being. You should sound kind of normal. Yeah. What's been happening? Um, well, we only just recorded <laughs> the last episode, so not much since then. No? No. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to really update. Nothing to report? No. What did we talk about last time? Om Shinrikyo. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, nothing to say. So I guess we'll just go into our spiel of um, if you're listening and you enjoy this, please follow us on all the social media things. What are they? Bloody bizarre at everything. I think the only one we don't have is like TikTok. Yet. Yet. I mean, I don't have TikTok, so that's it's unlikely that we'll um, go into that. I've area. got TikTok, but I just don't know what we would post on TikTok. Yeah, it would be so embarrassing. It, yeah, more embarrassing than this. Is it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's anything else that we really need to say up the top. This will just be a quick into it one. All right, because I'm going to let you tell you. Yeah, I'm really excited as well because you wouldn't let me like research anything about no. this. You wouldn't even no. tell me what it was. Yeah, because. Honestly, I can't believe that I've never heard this story before. Uh, we're recording at Sarah's house today as well. Yeah, there's dogs and babies. So. Dogs and babies. So you might hear some noises and, you know, there might be some odd cuts and that kind of thing where we have to cut and Sarah has to go and tend to her child. <laughs> <laughs> um, but all right, I'm just going to jump in then. Yep. And maybe we'll get it all done by the time Abby stirs. Yep. Sounds good. All right. Today I'm telling you about Danielle Keena Maguire and Daniel Zapp. Danielle and Daniel. So my sources are cbsnews.com, uh, a podcast called Infraction, episode 48. It's also, That's also, by the way, a really good podcast. It's two British girls. It's very red-handed-esque, but I don't think they're recording anymore. Ah, oh, yeah. damn. But um, I started listening to them anyway. Yeah, if there's 48 <clears throat> episodes, that's still, like, binge-worthy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Google Maps, thoughtcatalog.com, ssristories.net, Pocono Record, and mcarl.com so i've never heard i don't know a single thing about this the, you are in for a shock the only thing i know is that it's a like survival one don't don't give it away for the people oh yeah okay i don't know anything about this one we'll cut that <laughs> no you can leave it in <laughs> um just ruining things as per usual yeah. <laughs> all right so today's story takes place in january of the year 2000 what can you remember about the new millennium? Oh, I remember this quite well because it was when there was all the... Y2K. Y2K stuff. And as yeah. a very anxious child, I thought that Y2K was going to wipe us out. So what I did on the first day of the year 2000... Y2K. Yeah. <laughs> the first thing I did was I got up and I went and checked if the taps were working. And once they were working, then I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was what nine-year-old me was up to or 10-year-old me. All I remember from the millennium is going down to the foreshore because at that point we lived in Rockingham. Oh, yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. That was that was a nice way to spend New Year's actually. Mm, it was well, busy. For, for like, yeah. It would have been, been fun if like it would have been a good year to be turning 18 or so, you know something yeah. like that yeah yeah but i s- still remember that as one of my better new year's eves i don't remember many of mine too drunk <laughs> <laughs> okay <clears throat> so today's story is a true crime one and it is horrible so uh buckle up it gets bad trigger warning to anyone this story involves um a lot of awful things uh namely sexual assault and mostly that 
Jeez. There was a kookaburra outside my window two nights ago, like literally outside my window laughing. Mm. It was so loud in the house. I was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> and then it started laughing. I was like, oh, it's a kookaburra, but where is it? Is it inside? <laughs> Has one crawled in? <laughs> So Danielle Keener was 18 years old, a student at Susquehanna University in Pennsylvania. Danielle met a guy named Daniel Zapp, who was also 18. He was a freshman at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Interestingly, a lot of people, a lot of famous people are alums of Carnegie Mellon because they have a very prestigious acting program there. A fun fact about Susquehanna is that their mascot is a river hawk. Is that a type of bird? Yep. Is that an interesting fact? It's all I could find about the... Because, like, um, Carnegie Mellon had all these, like, prestigious alarm, like, all these famous actors, and then Carnegie... I mean, um, Susquehanna, it was just like, it's a school. <laughs> so I wanted to give them something as well. <laughs> so Daniel, Daniel and Daniel, for ease, I'm going to refer to him as Dan. Dan. So Daniel and Dan. Okay. Okay. The two had been on one date together. They went for dinner. They really enjoyed themselves. They seemed to really click. Danielle told her roommate that they had a lot to talk about. She felt like there was chemistry between them. And her roommate had asked if the two were going to go on a second date. Danielle said she hoped so. Dan did call to organize a second date. Danielle said she'd plan this one because Dan had planned the first one. Mm -hmm. So Danielle was talking to her mum, and her mum had suggested the two could go on a walk down to the marina, which is such a mum suggestion. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you two could go on a walk. That'd be nice. And you're like, what the fuck? (laughs) A walk. But Danielle liked the idea. This is 2000, perhaps a simpler time. Uh, Maybe. (laughs) Uh, Because it gave her and Dan a chance to talk. Yeah. And obviously they've got this great chemistry, so she's like, yeah, okay. So Danielle and Dan met up for their second date just outside of York, Pennsylvania. They walked around town for a bit and then they made their way down to the marina. I looked up this area on Google Maps and it looks really cute and quaint and the town of York looks really cool too. Like in my head it was this small town kind of, you know, backcountry-esque, but it's it seems like quite a vibrant place. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Daniel and Dan heading down to the marina. So they called it a marina, but it looks more like a boat launch from what I could see. Um, not like what I would imagine a marina to look like. Like I bet you're imagining a massive kind of boat dock area. Yeah, um, like Frio. Yeah, it's not like that. Okay. From what I could see. Is it's... it more like um, like a beach kind of thing? Yeah, and... more like a river ba- riverbank. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So there's not many buildings and stuff around. Yeah, well, so in that podcast I was listening to, one of the hosts says that the word marina made her think of a really populated area. That's exactly – I was thinking yep. of a, like, Fremantle where there's, like, no. a cafe and no. boats. And, yeah. Okay. And it's also – there's a massive coastline or, like, riverbank line. So it goes for ages. So, you know, this particular thing could have happened at any point along the, the massive, long, like, riverbank. Yeah. So – and there it is not that populated from what I could see. Okay. So they're having fun down by the water's edge. They're skipping rocks. They're talking. They're laughing. They're having fun, right? This is a great second date. Mm -hmm. It's at this point that a red pickup truck with an enclosed tray pulls up behind the two. You know those, like, those utes that have, like, uh, closed cabs? Yes. Yeah. So one of those pulls up. A guy gets out of his car. He's got a dog with with him, a Rottweiler. The Rottweiler's name is Sam, if you're wondering. Cute. He asks the two if they want a lift anywhere. Weird. Danielle and Dan declined politely, saying they're fine. Like, they're just, you know, they're just hanging out down there. Why would, why would they want to lift? Hi, I'm just driving around the area Do seeing guys... if anybody wants to get in my car. Yeah. So the guy gets back in his truck and drives away. Sarah's face at the moment looks concerned. Yeah, I don't like that at all. 
I just gave myself shivers because yeah. I know what's happening. I would be so creeped out. Yeah. I think I would want to leave. Um, but Danielle says that the guy seemed fairly normal. She said she didn't, she didn't really think of anything, anything of the interaction. I suppose if he got out and was like letting the dog go for a run and then as he was yeah. leaving was like, you guys don't need a lift, do you? Yeah. That would be. Yep. That's what I'd say is that that's, that seems like is yeah. okay. what has happened. Um, but then the guy drives by a few more times. Oh, no, no, no. Just passes by. So the two start walking along the river, the water's edge, right? They're like, let's get going. Yeah. All of a sudden, the red pickup truck pulls up again in the path that they're walking along. The guy gets out of his truck and he's holding a gun, a nine millimeter handgun, and he orders the two to quote, get in the fucking truck. Oh no. Oh yeah. Goosebumps. It's so scary. Yes. yes. And this is gonna get a lot worse before it gets any better. Danielle freezes, um, and Dan starts throwing his wallet and his keys, offering like he's like, you know, take it, take whatever you want. Yeah. Um he, he goes, The laptop's my laptop's in the car, take the car, take the laptop, take whatever you want. The guy says he doesn't want any of it. So with the guy still pointing the gun at them, the pair get into the truck. Danielle gets into the front passenger seat at, at the man's insistence, and Dan is forced to get into the tray, into the enclosed cab at the back, with mm. Sam the dog. Danielle says that while he was driving, the guy was, quote, ranting and raving and acting crazy, and that it felt like they were driving for a really long time. He was very obviously drunk and maybe on something else, which, you know, must have been really it was so much scarier because yeah. that unpredictability. I think I always think about if I was in a situation like this and I think that I would try and like reason with the person and predict what was going to happen next. But if someone is high or drunk or like, you know, psychotic. Yeah, exactly. Like people on meth, they'll, mm. they'll like one minute be like laughing and joking. And then all of a sudden they're super angry and mm. like the slightest little thing that doesn't even make any sense will set them off. Mm. And, and yeah. they could be hearing things like, yeah, you don't know. Yeah, exactly. A they little could voice be could just be yeah. like, they just said something bad about yeah. you. And then they'll yeah. be like, you just said something bad about me. Yeah. And you'd be like, what? No, yeah. I didn't. So the pair were obviously terrified and they just kept saying to this guy that they'd do anything he wanted as long as he would let them go. Dan tries to call for help on his mobile phone, but it was out of service. Remember, this is the 2000s. 2000s Cell yeah. service isn't going to be great. Yeah. And the abductor's telling Danielle that he's kidnapping them for ransom. But Danielle's pretty sure immediately that this is bullshit. Yeah. Uh, apparently, they even passed by Danielle's childhood home and some of her family were out on the porch. Oh, my God. Mm. Um, obviously, Danielle can't do anything because the guy's got a gun on her. He's yeah. unpredictable. She doesn't want to do anything that's going to get her or Dan killed. So... This guy who's got them, the abductor, he stops a couple of times along the riverbank, but people kept driving up or pulling up, so he keeps driving off. And he eventually drives 12 miles or 19 k's away to a secluded section of the river on a place called Gut Road. Lovely. Yeah. So by my estimate, it's been about 30 to 40 minutes at this point, but I'm not sure how long he was stopping for each time. Yeah. So it could be anywhere between like I'd say 20 Ks, 30 to an hour, let's say or to an hour and a half, because who knows how long he was stopping for. Yeah. So he stops on this secluded area, right? Of the riverbank. He orders them both out of the car and tells them to go and stand by the river. He claims that he's been paid to kill them, but he's also talking to himself about how he can't kill innocent kids. Right. <sighs> Then he says he's going to let them go, but that they can't tell anyone about the incident. But then he says, but then he flips and he goes, oh, but I can't let them go because they've seen my face. So he's clearly erratic. He's not thinking logically. Yeah. Uh, and, and Danielle says that during this, he was periodically firing his gun into the river as well. Like after each statement, he'd fire into the river. 
And so that's almost a good thing because it's like, yeah, go on, waste, waste your bullets. bullets. Yeah. Yeah. But then she also says that she realizes that he's not afraid to fire the gun. Yeah. And so it kind of scared them as well. That. Yeah. Um, and all the while this guy's getting, getting increasingly more agitated and seems like he's becoming even more erratic. So eventually he stops pacing and he orders them back towards the truck. He orders Dan to get back in the tray again. And he says to Daniel that she has to get into the main cab and the guy gets back into the car as well. So they're all just sitting silently, right? And then the abductor um, looks at Danielle and goes, so you said you'll do anything? Oh, fuck off. Mm -hmm. So Danielle said that she knew in that moment that this guy was going to rape her. Um, She knew she couldn't say no. She didn't want to die and she didn't want Dan to die because of her refusal. Mm -hmm. So she just nods at this guy. This guy then does proceed to rape Danielle in the front of his truck. Dan looked up to see what was happening and the guy yells at him to keep his fucking head down. After the assault... The guy gets out of the truck and orders the couple out as well. He tells them to stand by the riverbank and assures them that he is going to let them go. So they're thinking at this point, the worst of this is over. Yeah. So the couple hold hands and they walk towards the river. They were hoping that he had abducted them so that he could rape Danielle. But as they're standing there, Dan turns to see what the guy's doing and a shot is fired. Oh my God. The guy shoots Dan point blank in the neck. Dan falls to the ground. Danielle sees blood spilling out of his mouth and she's panicking. She's convinced that she's going to be killed next. So she kneels down next to him. He's just still alive. She grabs his hand. She tells him that she loves him. They say goodbye to each other. And then she is shot in the face. Oh my God. Holy shit. Danielle says she didn't feel any pain, but she felt a huge pressure in her head which is what you hear so often with these stories about people getting shot in the head. Like mm. they, they say it's like a huge pre- or like a massive noise or like a yeah. pressure. Um, and she blacks out. This is so sad. Yeah. I told you it was a bad one. Yeah, I know. But I just like, I, cause I knew it was like an, I survived. I thought that like nobody was going to die in it. So this shot, she blacks out from the shot, right? The impact of the shot causes her to fall into the river. Okay, because they're right on the riverbank. Mm-hmm. And this guy then drags Dan's lifeless body into the river as well. So this is January in Pennsylvania. So the average daily temperature is around 40 degrees Fahrenheit or 4.4 degrees Celsius. So this water is icy. Cold. Take a breath. Is this the worst of it? Um, yeah. In my opinion, the rape is the worst of it. So after a short time, Danielle comes too. She's not dead. Oh my God. She's, she's she survived, survived being shot, shot in the face. face and falling into the water. So she realizes that she's in this water. She can taste blood in her mouth. She realizes that, that she's been shot in the head. She realizes all this quite quickly. Um, she thinks maybe she's been spit, um, shot in the mouth. She's spitting out bits of teeth. Her tongue is lacerated. Danielle turns her head and she can see Dan in the water. And then she sees him move. Oh my God. Dan is still alive. <gasps> oh. So... Turns out when Dan was chucked into the icy waters of the Susquehanna River, it almost shocked him awake and he pretty immediately understood what had happened. So they're both still alive. Oh my God. But now they're in this icy water with life-threatening injuries. So Danielle starts to slowly, like really slowly make her way over to Dan and they, they hold each other's hand in this icy water. Then they realize, they look over at the shore and the guy's standing there watching them. He's still there watching them. <laughs> oh my God. Clifford, oh my God, no. Lie down. Because you'd, you'd wake up and you'd be like, okay, all right, at least that threat is gone. The threat is gone, right? But no, he's standing there watching them. Fucking hell. I wish this guy would just fucking die. So Dan says to Danielle, play dead. 
Just, just float, just play dead. I am amazed that after getting shot in the neck and head, that one, they're even conscious. Two, they have the wherewithal. The wherewithal, and three, he can even talk I to know. say play dead. I know. Like, so, so yeah, just float. They, they do. They just float. They let the current take them downstream. They're just lying there. They eventually see this guy get back in the truck and drive away. Danielle later says that without Dan to guide her through that moment, she knows she would have died. And she describes a moment where she felt their hands separate and that she, like, she felt herself kind of like, like just going away and just kind of drifting out. Yeah. But Dan grabbed her hand and pulled her back towards him. And so Aww. she said like, without him, she wouldn't have survived that moment when she was in the water. So they're floating, right? A few hundred yards or meters, a hundred yards is 91 meters. If you were wondering. Okay. So yeah. a few hundred meters down the river downstream a local hunter peter prowell was on the bank of the river and he notices two bodies just start floating down towards him right in this icy river middle of january and he's oh like my God. what the fuck yeah right he thinks they're dead they get closer to him and he's able to pull them from the river uh mr prowell pretty immediately notices that they've been shot in the head both of them but neither danielle nor dan could talk at this point yeah they're both in too much shock. They're both shaking, yeah. um, but they are both still alive at this wow. point. Peter doesn't have a phone on him. Mr. Prowl, the hunter, doesn't have a phone on him. But he runs up to the main road and he flags down a pass- passing vehicle. Please don't tell me it's the red cu- the red truck. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> this is in that podcast I was listening to. One of the girls goes, so they flag down a, a, a truck and then the other girl goes, it's the man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. I know. No, it's not. It's not. He flags down this this um, this vehicle and he get he says the occupants go to town, get help. Right. Thankfully they do. An ambulance quickly arrives. But in the time that it's taken, Dan has has had a turn for the worst. He's starting to choke on blood that's pulling his mouth. The couple are rushed to nearby York Hospital. Danielle had been shot in the side of her face. Her tongue was severely lacerated. Her right lower jaw had essentially been shattered. Um, it was so damaged that her doctor described it as looking like, quote, Rice Krispies. Ooh. Her face and her head had also swelled up to almost the size of a bowling ball. Oh, my God. She was also shot in the thigh, just randomly. So he fired a few shots at yeah. Danielle was quickly put into a medically induced coma. Dan had been shot in the neck, the bullet passing through his windpipe and exiting his jaw. There was also a real severe risk that bone fragments could nick an artery, yeah, um, causing further severe blood loss or leading, leading to a clot. The doctor said that if the bullet had been an inch over, it would have hit his vertebrae and likely killed him instantly. So this, I am just, <laughs> this is incredible. I know. These two survive like i'm just amazed that they survived to start with but like survived this long Mm -hmm. as well yep that's why i couldn't believe that i've never heard this story before yeah so danielle's dad brent he gets the call that his daughter's been shot in the face and he needs to get the hospital straight away can you imagine getting i can't even about a family member so he grabs a photo of his daughter and he spends the 30 minute drive from his place to the hospital talking to the photo of danielle uh, and praying for her survival he says that when he saw his daughter he was in complete shock obviously um, and uh, being her father, he just wants to fix the problem. He describes it as unbearable, which obviously. Oh my god, that's making me like tear up. Yeah, it's really sad. He says some other sad stuff too. Don't tell me. <laughs> I'll start crying. Yeah, I have to tell you. You have to be in this too. Is this too sad for the podcast? No, it's a good story. It's an g- amazing story. Yeah. yeah, it's incredible. 
So while the hospital staff are working to save Danielle's and Dan's lives, the police start the investigation, all right? Detective Demangane, one of the law enforcement uh, officials on the investigation, say that the brutality shocked even some of the most seasoned officers. Mm -hmm. The team needed to start at the crime scene, but because the couple had floated a few hundred metres downstream, no one knew where the crime scene was. Police from several agencies worked together. They performed a a line search up the riverbank. They eventually found the blood and the shell casings just a a day later. So they had their crime scene, right? But they didn't know what had happened other than two young people had been shot and left for dead in the water. Because neither of them can talk at this point. Yeah, Danielle's in a coma. Dan's been worked on still, right? Mm -hmm. So the detective goes to the hospital. As I said, Danielle's in a medically induced coma, only able to interact with Dan. Dan can't speak because of his injuries and the officers know that he might not survive his injuries much longer. So they have to ask him what he remembers while he can. They have mm. to get as much information out of him while he's still alive, right? Yeah. That's got to be so hard because as his family, I guess you would be like, we don't want to bother him. We don't want to mm. stress him because we want him to survive. But at the mm. same time, you'd be like, if he doesn't. Mm. What if Danielle doesn't survive? Yeah. We need to get all the information yeah. now. So Dan writes down an account of what's happened, right? Yeah. How, oh my, how is he able to write? Dan gives them such a detailed account of what occurred, even noting the perpetrator's shoe type, Nike high tops, wow. and the dog's name, Sam. This guy is a fucking hero. We can post on the gram the note that he wrote because it's, it's really good. Dan's detailed description of the man who abducted him and Danielle led the police to a man named William Babner, a resident of York who also had prior arrests. Dan was shown a photo lineup from which, uh, despite one of his eyes being swollen shut, he identified Babner as the piece of shit who had raped Danielle and shot them both in the head. And it said that um, he, so he was shown, like, each photo was shown to him and he couldn't speak, but when Babner was shown, he starts banging oh. on, the, on the photo. Like, Why was his eye swelled up? Uh, I guess from the impact of the... Oh, yeah. Maybe, like, like exited maybe through, like, towards his cheek. Enough, uh, just enough yeah. to, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess like if you anywhere in the general area. Yeah, yeah. Danielle had started to improve. The swelling on her head was reducing, so the doctors decided to bring her out of the coma. Danielle had needed a tracheotomy and she still had the pipe coming out of her throat, so she wasn't able to talk. She was communicating with notes, right, much like Dan. She was on really strong pain meds and she says that she was constantly having vivid, terrifying hallucinations of bloody corpses. She said once she claimed to see a woman hanging in her room with blood on her face. So she's just completely, yeah. So her dad stayed with her the entire time. He said that Danielle would wake up every 10 to 15 minutes, point at something in the room that wasn't there, writing that she'd seen like a bloody face or a bloody body or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, Brent says that this period was particularly difficult for him because she was in just so much terror. Yeah. Mental Um, anguish. Yeah. Danielle's dad had put a photo of Danielle and Dan, uh, on their stand next to her bed. Uh, when she saw it, she had a flash. When Danielle saw it, she had a flashback of Dan being shot, and she got this sinking feeling that Dan was dead. Her father assured her that he was still alive and he was actually improving, but she didn't believe him because she was like, "I saw him get shot in the fucking head. Yeah, how could he possibly be alive? Yeah, how am I still alive?" Um, so Brent, the dad, goes down to Dan's room. He gets him to write Daniel a note, <laughs> and then he comes back and he shows her this note, and then she was like, "All right." I believe you now. He's still alive. Police learn that William Babner is hiding out with his girlfriend at the time and her children. Ew. He was around children. Mm-hmm. And he has a girlfriend. Yeah. It's if, like. As if that means anything. No, but like it always shocks me. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it's it's shocking that like there is a woman alive who finds something redeemable about, about him about yeah. the person. So the cops know that Babner has guns and they don't want to create a hostage situation or any other casualties or anything like that. So they have to consider how they're going to go and get him. A quick response team, so like a SWAT team, they station themselves in the alley around the property in the trees, everything like that, right? And they do that at midnight and they wait until each member of the house is left until it's only Babner. So the girlfriend comes out, they go up to her and they go, is William in the house? She goes, yeah, and so is my son or my child, my children, whatever, and they and they go. When are they leaving? She goes. They're leaving at this time to catch the bus. As soon as they come out, they storm in. They arrest Babner without incident. Good job to the cops. Yeah, they handled it well. The police retrieve a number of items from the house that match the description that Dan's given them. So they get the bloodstained Nike high tops, the nine millimeter gun that Babner had used to shoot the couple. Tire prints along the river matched Babner's truck. His dog's hair was matched to that on Dan's jacket. The dog's name tag, Sam, was what um, Dan had had recounted. Dan was also able to give them an incredibly accurate account of the contents of the back of the truck. And all of that matched too. This guy's so clever. You can tell that he must have just been like, okay, if I do survive, I've got to just start memorizing all this stuff. So this guy goes down for it. So prosecutors spent six months compiling an airtight case with mountains of evidence. Despite this overwhelming evidence and offers of deals to him to plead guilty, he refuses to plead guilty. So he forces Dan and Danielle to go through a trial. So I hate this guy. Yeah. Fucking hate this guy. So six months after being after their horrifying ordeal, Danielle and Dan were forced to take the stand and testify against William Babner. Danielle describes how awful it was to have to describe her rape in an open court with her parents in the room. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so fucked up. So Danielle describes to the court how she suffers from constant nightmares. She's not able to speak with strangers. um, While Dan recounts the moment he thought he was going to die and the helplessness he felt while Danielle was being assaulted. The only defense that Bavner's team was able to provide was that he was high and drunk and couldn't remember the events of the day. Oh, so that's okay then. Mm. He wasn't high and drunk when he made them go through this whole go through the trial. Yeah, no, you're right. That's a good point. The jury took an hour and a half, and they found Babner guilty on all charges. Great. So he's he's found guilty. Then it goes to sentencing. Right upon sentencing, Judge Cheryl and Dorney asked Babner if he had anything to say. Babner had remained quiet throughout his whole trial and sentencing hearing. Babner. Uh, writes a note he give, gave this note to his court-appointed lawyer and he asked the lawyer to read it out rather than apologizing for this attack or giving any kind of you know um, remorse response or anything like that his note only said that he wanted to fire his lawyer for being an ineffective advocate <laughs> so uh. the judge was disgusted and was like all right i've had enough of this so here's what she get ready for this here's what she sentenced him to right 10 to 20 years for the attempted murder of Daniel Zapp, 10 to 20 for kidnapping, 10 to 20 for robbery, 2 to 5 for using a firearm in the commission of a crime, 10 to 20 for firearms violation, 10 to 20 years for the attempted murder of uh, Daniel, 10 to 20 years for rape, 10 to 20 years for kidnapping, 10 to 20 years for each of the three counts of involuntary deviant sexual intercourse, 5 to 10 years for aggravated assault. Judge Dorney then added that Babner would have to serve each of these sentences consecutively. Hell yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Meaning that Babner was sentenced 
to 117 years to 235 years behind bars. Perfect. That's justice. That's what they need to do more often. Prosecutor Ed Pascar says Babna, quote, deserves every second of those 117 years. Yeah, absolutely. Not that it makes any difference, but Babna had chronic alcoholism and reportedly started drinking at age 12. Yeah, so do a lot of people. Yeah. After Babna was taken away, Danielle hugged all the members of her family and then a weeping woman approached her in the hall, hugged her and sobbed, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. The sobbing woman walked away. She was Babna's sister. It's it's really sad for, I'm sure, for... The family of the perpetrator? Yeah. Yeah. Like... If they're not also pieces of shit, yeah. 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 I'm sure you would feel like, I mean, the fact that she was saying sorry. Yeah, yeah. She didn't do anything. It wasn't her fault. She can't help it that her brother's a piece of shit. So Daniel and Dan both survived, obviously. Yeah, I'm I'm so happy. I'm yeah. so happy because I thought Dan had died. I know. I deliberately when I was writing this, I didn't include any quotes from Dan. Oh, <laughs> you, <laughs> your bitch. <laughs> so, but Daniel and Dan were unable to continue their romantic relationship. Yeah, they I, found it too hard as they were reminded of the attack every time they were together. I I can understand that as yeah. much as it's like, oh, I hope that like they got together and lived happily yeah. ever after realistically yeah. looking at that person all you would remember is the most traumatic thing that's ever happened yeah. to you but they did live happily ever after you know uh, separately separately yeah. they're still friends though oh awesome so, that's um, nice daniel zapp met and married a woman in college and daniel keena also met and married a friend a college friend and had a daughter with him Aww. the police chief and the hunter who rescued her attended her wedding oh my god <laughs> Uh, Danielle and Dan remain friends to this day. Danielle is a clinical social worker and Dan is a psychologist gaining his PhD as well. Wow. And there's a really cute photo of the two, the two, their two families together, which we can include in the Instagram as well. Amazing. A 2006 documentary focused on this crime. Danielle had the following quote. I want people to say it didn't destroy us. We both have happy lives. It's a part of us, but it's not who we are. And that is the horrific but incredible survival story of Danielle Keena Maguire and Daniel Zapp. Oh my God, that's amazing. That is by far the most emotional one that you've told. How insane. It's awesome that they... I'll show you these photos, but yeah, sorry, keep going. It's awesome that they both have gone into fields where they're... It's clearly, Helping people. Exactly. It's yeah. clearly that they've taken this experience and been like, we're going to make It's informed their lives elements. in a good way. Yeah. So that's Dan, that's Danielle, and that's that's her husband, that's his wife, and that's her daughter. Oh, they look like such sweethearts. Yeah. Oh. Um, so this, this is a photo of them at the time. Aww. And I'll find you a photo of William Babner. Oh, and I'll also show you Daniel Zapp's um, letter. The amount of strength it would take from both of them to not let something like this just completely destroy, like the fact that she's become a clinical social worker, he's become a psychologist, just shows you how strong they are as people compared to fucking William, whatever. Ugh, Doesn't he yuck. look, he's got the most beady little eyes. Yeah, he does. He looks like a rat. Yeah, he does. He looks like, um, like a spot of, uh, not a spot of, he looks like a Snapchat filter. <laughs> he's ugly. Yeah, he's an ugly dude. He's an ugly dude. And I'll show you this. And he's note. still in jail. Uh, he he is. Yeah, hundred. Oh, I actually don't know if I he's mean, dead. Yeah, yeah, I was. Uh, I don't know. Dead yet? That's um one of their jaws. <gasps> yeah, I think that's um I think that's Danielle's jaw. So you can see he wrote a full detailed note. Um. Oh, and there's a picture of Sam if you care. What happened? I'm kind to, of annoyed at to Sam, Sam too. What did? He, well, what happened to him? I don't know. He's like a family member. He can't help it. Can't well, help that his owner's a jerk. 
he was probably sitting there like, I'm sorry about this. You don't know what happened to the dog. No. That's very unlike you not to find that out. I'm guessing that the dog went to the family members of him. It wasn't mentioned in anything I saw. Wow. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, it's such a good story. Like I say, I, I can't believe that I've never heard that I before. Because it's such a good ending as well. Like That they both survived. Both survived and not only survived, like thrived. thrived. They're yeah. killing it. Far out. Oh, love it. Well done. <laughs> uh, Great one. Yeah. How did you say you found out about that one? Um, I think I was looking at incredible survival stories or something like that. Yeah. And, um, and I, it, it was like, it was like a paragraph of writing and I was like, I've got to read more on this. Yeah. Great job. Thank you. Thank you. So that was episode 11. Yeah. I don't even know how to wrap up after that. I like need a... You're in shock. Yeah. I need a few minutes to... <laughs> what is your story on next week? Uh, next week or oh, so, yeah. So I was going to do a particular one. Yeah. But you're going to pivot. I'm going to pivot after Shan gave us a recommendation, and I think it's a great recommendation. I'm going to do another real heavy hitter. Okay. You're not going to reveal it yet? Should I? It's up to you. I'm going to do Dharma. <gasps> Jeffo Dharma. Yeah. Dharma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's going to be good. Yeah. Although it is another very heavy one. That's okay. We'll just do a fun one after that. People, I don't think anyone listens to podcasts that they know are true crime leaning to listen to like good stories. Yeah, I've um, been seeing a bit of content lately on TikTok, you know, I follow TikTok, talking about true crime and how it's really like, oh, it's so exploitative and like people are sitting there laughing at people's traumatic memories and stuff like that. And I get it for, I guess, certain creators can be like that. And I thought about it and I was like, is that what we're doing? Is that, but I don't think it is because for me, I know with this stuff, it's more like I am genuinely interested in it, but it's not like I'm, I don't know, like maybe I need to reflect on it more, but yeah, reflect on it. But, um, I think if we were laughing at the victims, yeah. Or making fun of them in any way. Yeah, I don't mind laughing at the perpetrators. Yeah. Because that's... Yeah, look, I don't feel I don't feel like I'm exploiting anyone. But I guess it's not up to me to make that decision. I suppose but, to be exploiting, we would have to be making money or something, which we're not, so... No, we're absolutely not. <laughs> we're losing money. <laughs> um, yeah, just, just reflect on it and then tell me what to think. <laughs> Will do. <laughs> On that note, yeah, follow us on all the stuff and listen in next week. When Sarah's going to cover Jeffrey Jeffrey Dahmer. Dahmer. Bye-bye. Bye.